Welcome to the Nat and Sarah Show, where we aim to touch, move, and inspire you every single week. Really? We're really going to introduce our own show? Maybe we should leave it to the pro. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. One second, ladies. Here we go. Sarah Maxwell and Natalie Cook are experts in visualization and deliberate use of the law of attraction. As dynamic world athletes representing Canada and Australia in beach volleyball, they honed in on achievement at the highest level. Winning an Olympic gold medal on her home beach of Bondi is a pinnacle example. Their powerful techniques transmute the spiritual to the tangible, allowing thousands of their community members to bring their vision boards to life. Recently, they've taken their expertise on the road as the full-time family, where they inspire, coach, and lead people to create their unique, deliberate family life using a simplified three-step process. Welcome to the Nat and Sarah Show. Join us for twice-weekly episodes. Each week, Nat and Sarah will teach us how to deliberately create results in all areas of life using their unique three-step process. Not only that, they'll also sit down with some of their favorite high achievers who have manifested what most merely dream about. Are you a member of the community? Go to bit.ly slash the Nat and Sarah show to download your three-step journal to follow along with each workshop style teaching episode and get ready to take action on your inspirations. Today, we continue the conversation with a woman who is living proof that out of the tattered ego of failure rises your dreams. Today, she is the co-founder of Property Alchemy with her husband of 16 years, where they bustle about parenting three kids. You'd be surprised to note that while relentlessly trying IVF almost 10 years ago, the business her and her husband had built and grown for five years came tumbling down. And as they say, when it rains, it pours. When their company went under, Penelope Valentine and her husband committed to paying back each and every person they owed money to and are proud to say they have now done it. That one child that inspired them to not, to not give up on IVF has now swelled to three, and life has become about teaching others that failure should not be feared or avoided, but rather accepted and understood. So thank you so much, Penelope, for opening up to us today and how failure has really shaped your family and how you now teach your children to embrace it. I can't wait to get stuck into it, so thank you. My pleasure. I'm very happy to be here. Woohoo! So Penelope's um, kind of a oh, sorry about that, everybody. I had a phone call at the same time. We're so modern and technological. Um, I always close down all my other stuff, but clearly, apparently, your phone can ring at the same time. So um, you'd know all about that, having three kids and um, a bustling business. But I really do want to thank you because you have. Um, you're a trailblazer. You've been listening to the Nat and Sarah show, um, being inspired by other people. And now we get the chance today to be inspired by your life, to see what's possible through the choices that you and your husband have made. So look, I'd really love to take the listeners right into the heart of your life when failure was about to hit you like a hurricane. So you'd built a business with your husband over the past, the last five years, you wanted to expand your family and so we're delving into the world of IVF and you're told that something has revealed that your company wasn't going as well as you thought. 
What was that moment like for you when you heard that? Look, it was, I think devastating is probably the right word. And we had built the business up, but in year three of our business, that's when we decided that we really wanted to start trying. I mean, we'd been trying naturally uh, for two years to have more babies. So it was at year three that we started doing IVF. So as the business was growing and, and becoming what we thought more successful, um, I was kind of in the background doing IVF as well. So I had at, at year five, when we found out that the business was no longer viable and that we were going to have to declare um, insolvency, I'd already done three failed rounds of IVF. So I was in my own world of pain. And then to have this as an additional uh, pressure in our life, it was you know, catastrophic for us in, on so many levels. And it wasn't just about the financial hole that we were in. Mm-hmm. For us, it was losing face. It was the employees that we had. Um, you know, it was what, what would our family and friends think of us? And the worst thing was that Lee and I, my husband, we'd stop communicating. You know, he was so in the business and I was in my IVF pain that we weren't working as a team. We were blaming each other and it was just a horrible space. I genuinely thought that we were going to break up. I thought I'm going to lose my business. I'm not going to have any more children and my relationship is going to break up. I think if I look back on my life now, I can hand on heart say it was the darkest time of my life. Whoa. So like, thank you for bringing that up, this idea that what are people going to think of me? So not only do you have the reality of what you're dealing with, but there's the weight and the pressure of the world on your shoulders. So you and your husband aren't communicating. He's lost in the business. You're lost in hormones and IVF. Pretty much. (laughs) What was that first, the first moment where you realized that everything wasn't going to crumble. Like where do you actually start to see a tiny sliver of hope? Look, we just had to sit down and put a plan in place. You know, we knew that this was an industry that is relatively small. We're both in real estate and we knew that we wanted to continue in real estate and we wanted to act with integrity around this. So just because our business had failed, it didn't mean as individuals we were going to fail and let people down. So we put payment plans in place. We spoke to all of our suppliers who were our trusted suppliers um, and we worked out how we were going to pay them back. We spoke to our team and we responsibly let our team go. And we just took one step at a time. It was too big a beast to work out the, all of the intricacies on how we were going to resolve this issue. But we knew that we had to put priorities in place of what we could do. Um, you know, we, we had to go rent this tiny little house um, in the inner west in Croydon. And I remember thinking, you know, we had this beautiful apartment in Surrey Hills and now we were living in this tiny rundown two-bedroom house that we were renting, I think, for like $350. And we just kept doing one thing after another. It was just that old adage of just put one foot in front of the other. And as we did that and we reconnected and started communicating and, you know, they say failure is not an option. I think us hitting our goals was not an option and us getting out of this with authenticity and integrity was not an option. I think failure is always an option. I think it's an opportunity to learn, but for us to not do the right thing by people, that was not an option for us. So 
as we as we put all our steps in place and as we started to have these small wins of you know paying back people or getting other jobs or being able to pay our rent it started as you said you know the, the i guess the clouds parted and a little, little slither of hope came through um, that we were actually going to be okay it was going to take a lot of time and we were committed to that but it wasn't the end of the world so <clears throat> how do you go from I think me and my husband aren't going to make it to sitting down and making a plan. So, I mean, you talk about swallowing pride and I mean, what's that like? Like, how do you swallow it and then make a plan? Like that's that little step that I'm so curious. It might be hard for you to remember, but what had you go from, I think me and my husband are going to leave each other mm. to being able to sit across the table and make a plan with him. That's such a great question. And do you, do you know what it was? I genuinely still, we still had so much love. And I think it turned out that we had a common goal. And that common goal was that we wanted to continue to work in the industry. We did love each other. We didn't really like each other very much at that stage. But that common goal was that we were going to make sure that everyone that we had interacted with and who had worked with us and who had trusted us would not be let down. And we had to do that together because if we, if we divorced, then it would have been 10 times harder to do that. And we were both so committed to keeping our word to these people that that was enough of an impetus for us to have this shared goal for us to work towards. And in doing that, it actually brought us back together. Wow. That's actually really cool. I can see that you both had that value so strong that almost superseded all the other stuff that was going on. And just as a little relational distinction, tell me what the difference between I love you. Like you said, we loved each other, but we didn't maybe like each other. What's the distinction there? So I think that, you know, relationships are a roller coaster, right? And, you know, no one wants the merry-go-round. And there's sometimes in your relationship where you've got passion and you're just in sync and, you know, you feel like you're in a great relationship. And there's, there's other times where there's a bit of distance and the other person can annoy you a bit. And there's still that undercurrent of love. And I think that, you know, we were in a position where we weren't even talking. Uh, and I remember I'd look at him sometimes and I'd just think, you know, what, what, have you, what have you got us into? Because I was doing that blame game. But when we sat down and go and we said, you know, we've got two options. We either split up and then this is the trajectory we're on or we work towards doing this outcome where we felt that was a better outcome and this is the trajectory we're on. So we were at a real crossroads. It could have gone either way. Um, but, it, yeah, it was definitely that the united front that we wanted to also show to the world that, you know, we're going to do this together and we can assure you we're working as a team to get that done. That was what was so important. And if I'm honest, I really wanted more kids. And I thought, <laughs> best donor, he's right there. <laughs> That's funny. Absolutely. You need to go and find another husband's hosting. So, and I really love my last name. So, you know, all those things together, <laughs> awesome. um, you know, it, it really kind of pushed us in that direction. But we, we have never, ever, we had, until that time, we hadn't really had many arguments. And, and now, you know, we, we just don't fight that often. We, there's always seems to be a way to get around. But had we not gone through that awful experience, there is no way we would have the depth and the breadth of love and respect that we have in our relationship now. I, I absolutely know that for sure. 
This is really interesting. I love how um, you describe that distinction between love and like, and this, I really feel a sense that you and your husband had a, for me, the parting of the clouds was this thing that you both valued so highly, which was doing right by others and how that brought you together for, I, I love that you have humor for more than just a last name. And I'm glad you brought up the fact that you really wanted more kids because I know that you'd been like really struggling with IVF and then what happened? What allowed the kids to come in this space of struggle? Look, I think I wasn't getting pregnant because we had this business and it was incredibly stressful and I was so desperate. I had done everything. I don't know if you've done a segment on IVF before, but I had done five rounds of IVF. I'd had all the Chinese herbs. I'd done acupuncture, dry needling, remedial massage. I'd been to psychics. And a friend of mine said, go and have Reiki. I think you need some energy healing. And I didn't know what that was. So I was, this was my last ditch attempt. We'd actually run out of money for me to do any more IVF, which was adding more pressure. So I went to this lady and I did Reiki. And at the end of the session, she said to me, look, you're not going to fall pregnant um, with IVF. So you need to stop where I burst into tears. And she said, in two months time, you're going to fall pregnant with a little boy. And then straight after that, you're going to have a little girl. And I remember at the time I looked at her with such disdain and I threw money at her and I said, you're such a fraud. You know, that's what I want to hear. And I stormed out. Then two months later, I called her back and I said, look, I'm so sorry about my, 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 um, the way I acted before I am pregnant. And then I, I had Max and then, you know, very quickly after that, I had Saskia and I've continued to see this lady to this day. She's wow. extraordinary in, in the support that she offers me, not just personally, but commercially as well in my, in my business. So that it was just a clearing of energy and it was a, a mind reset as well because I was so dogmatic that I was going to have two more children and it was going to be through IVF. I wasn't open to anybody else telling me a different way to do this. So I think it was the combination of putting the wow. business to a side and this energy healing. And now I'm a massive advocate for Reiki. Oh, that's a great story. It's funny. You said, have you done anything on IVF? Because, um, I'm starting to think I should have a specialty segment series on it because it's coming up. I must be attracting it as well through my own um, IVF experience. But I have heard over and over and over again, the story of um, frustrated IVF attempts. Um, and when people just almost let it go, then they fall pregnant. I'm like, I want to explore this because I think it's a thing. I think there's more to it. And the interesting part around that is that IVF don't look at you holistically. They just do IVF. So you need to find a practitioner that can work potentially. If there's a problem and IVF is the solution, then definitely go down that path. There was nothing wrong with me. They called it secondary infertility, which basically meant they didn't know what the problem was. But I, I, I underwent procedures, um, I, you know, quite invasive procedures to try and find out if there was an issue. But it was just that my body was not um, a, a inhibitable space for an embryo to grow because of this tension and this stress and the, the angst that I had with my husband. It just was never going to work. And we were having um, IVF, you know, baby sex when it's just, there's no love in there. It's just, you know, I'm ovulating quick, hurry. You know, and it's, it's not a, a nice way to, to live or to have a baby. 
but um, the the holistic approach that I then took to my body and, and how I was going to have these babies was an absolute game changer. Wow, so beautiful. Yeah, and I, I think we could do a whole series on it actually, is like you said, the holistic, what else is going on feature around IVF. And so the thing that's really amazing about your, your next two kids, it was Max and, who's your daughter's name? What was your daughter's Saskia. name? Saskia. Yeah, I've heard that name more and more. So Max and Saskia come along. So now I'm feeling that these two kids were born in a different environment than your first son. So um, what had now become most important to you as a parent? What had changed in you? I think that we started teaching our children, you know, that adversity is such an important part of growth and what we had been through taught us so much. And, you know, I think um, you, you talk about a lot about how do you get your children to, you know, be really strong and resilient and have all these great characteristics. And I think the most important thing is to start that narrative when they're super young. Hmm. So, you know, the, the stories that you read to them, the, the language that you use, you know, as soon as they're one or they're two, um, and don't differentiate between the boys and the girls. So, you know, you don't want your little girl to be surrounded by these all these stories where the prince comes and saves them. Or, you know, they don't have to just be unicorns and fairies. They can be superheroes as well. And don't precondition them to what they can and can't do. So for us, you know, after having come through this incredibly torturous journey um, we really wanted to make sure that our kids appreciated anything that they had because we went from having a lot to having nothing and it really opens your eyes to how quickly that can happen and how grateful you should be to have you know anything if you've got a, a warm place to live and some your food to eat you're doing better than a hell of a lot of people and you need to be appreciative of that and so how do you do it how do you foster appreciation in growing kids so we started our Valentine house rules and we had a big blackboard in our kitchen where we wrote the Valentine house rules. And we, you know, if any of the children, you know, didn't, uh, I guess, conform to those rules or they forgot what they, those rules were, we would always go, right, let's read those rules. And it was great because people would come over and they're like, oh, the Valentine house rules. And there was things like, you know, dance like no one's watching or, um, you know, chew with your mouth closed. But there were other ones like... Um, uh, respect everyone and fear no one. So we really wanted the kids to grow up with it, an essence of, you know, these are some rules that I need to live by. If I want to be the best version of myself, then these are some really important rules that I need to understand. Um, and I think that that constant reinforcement and, you know, you've, you've got a child, it's, it's never ending. You never stop being a parent. Mm. Um, there's no silver bullet. You have to keep reinforcing to your children what, what is the best, um, best approach for life for them and what is going to make them the happiness, uh, the happiest. And I always talk to, I parent my children very differently because they've all got different personalities. My middle son, Max, um, you know, is very entrepreneurial and, and wants to be a billionaire. And I finally got him to understand that the most successful he can be is when he's with the happiest. So he's got a job that he loves. It's not about having the most money. It's about being the happiest. And so that was one of our rules, you know, that your, um, the happiness of your life is controlled by the quality of your thoughts. So, you know, they, they, the rules evolve and your children bring up things in you that uh, are light bulb moments as well. So we would add these rules on. And I think that was a really good starting point for us. Hmm. 
I love this conversation, um, you know, especially because mine's not where yours are yet. So thank you for the, the rules. Um, I can't wait for, for me to tell Nat about this. <laughs> She'll be like, oh, here we go. Um, I can take a photo of the rules and I can send Yeah, please. I don't know if you've got blog notes or you can share this, but people would like, everyone who came over and saw these rules were like, oh, these are great. Can you share these with us? And you can make your own rules, but it's a good starting point. Yeah, friends of our, another friend had that on a, like a painting sort of thing in her house and I was really impacted. So I'd love to hear yours. And, and I know you didn't expect this question, but here we are. Um, what do you mean when you say respect others? So we've been looking at schools and every school at the prep level is all about respect others. What, what does that mean to you? As a parent, yeah, the rule was respect all and fear none. And yes. I, I guess the meaning behind that is that it doesn't matter if people are different from you or they look different from you, that you need to treat them the same way that you would want to be treated. And for us, in the most simplistic terms, that is respect. And when you're dealing with children, you've got to make, make it um, understandable for them. So just treat people the way you would want to be treated. Okay. So that's what that word means. Cause what I love about growing kids is when you use words and then they say things like, what do you mean? Or <laughs> why, you know, like my, teaching my daughter, the word waste. Cause you know, she's goes to the bathroom now on her own and they want to pull all the toilet paper down. Yep. You know, it's like, and so I say to her, I, I say, take two squares. Don't waste it. What's waste mom. And you're like, wow telling you at your age, like trying to describe that. Mm -hmm. And we talk about the trees and da -da. she goes, what do you, and she thinks it's funny. Why are you talking about trees? We're talking about the toilet paper. So she doesn't. So anyway, I think all of this stuff is really important. Like you said, at an early age to start to layer in this idea of, of that failure is, or adversity is mm -hmm. something that's part of your life. So tell me, can you give me an example of how you, Talk to your nine-year-old about adversity. Yeah, so he is interesting, Max. Max in the middle. He, um, he cares a lot about what people think, and that's what we're working on with him. He's a, a pleaser. So, you know, when he doesn't, and he's very, very sporty. Um, so when, if he doesn't get into the top grade, for him, that is devastating because his friends, like, and this happened last year, he didn't get into the rep team for soccer and all of his friends did. And for him, that was the most crushing thing that's ever happened to him. You know, he was really upset about that. And we talked about how it just was an opportunity for him to get better. And it was a sign that, you know, he had room to grow and that, you know, if he tried again next year, that he would be able to, you know, try again. But he really had to up his game. You know, we got him a, a coach that worked on worked with him. And the, the following year, he made it into that team. So I think they need to have those lows so they can appreciate the highs. And also, they can see that hard work pays off. Uh, you know, there's been plenty of times where he hasn't got into other teams or other things or... Um, he hasn't been invited to birthday parties. I mean, this is the kind of adversity these okay. kids um, But, you know, it doesn't, life doesn't always go your way and you just have to be positive about the outcomes that happen. So it's, you know, I, our children haven't really ever gone through massive adversity. They've always had somewhere to sleep, always had anything they want to eat. They've got, 
you know, they, they pretty much um, have quite a gifted life compared to what I had my, in my upbringing. But I think it's really important that they do have some adversity and they miss out on things and they learn that, you know, everyone doesn't get a participation medal in life. That's not how life works. Mm-hmm. It um, really frustrates me at schools when everybody gets a medal or recognition just for showing up. Because I think kids need to learn that life is, you know, full of hard knocks sometimes and it makes them want to be more, it creates resilience and it, it pushes them forward to achieve more than they thought they could. And how did that, you brought up your own childhood there. So what was being fostered in your childhood that taught you about resilience? So I had a pretty tumultuous childhood. I was the eldest of four and I had a quite very violent, alcoholic, bipolar father. So growing up, my role as I saw it, and my mother was, you know, she's a lovely woman, but she doesn't have any strength in her and she just kind of let this happen. So I had to protect my siblings and I had to try and keep um, the outside world from seeing in. I was mortally ashamed at my father because when people would come over, he'd be a bit drunk and he'd be, you know, really gregarious and the life of the party and everyone thought he was amazing. But behind closed doors was a very different story. Um, So, you know, we had to hide bruises and limps and, you know, we had to create a different persona to the outside world, to the inside world. Um, And I I did this year after year until I finally left when I was 18. And so for me, you know, there wasn't an option but to keep moving forward. I couldn't kind of quit and say, you know, I'm out of this family because I had these three siblings that I wanted to make sure were okay. So I think that, you know, having to actually deal with real adversity when you had this this kind of monster that you were living with and you felt like you were in quicksand because I was never sure what personality was going to come through the door. None of us were. So I think that in me made me just stronger to be able to know that you just keep moving forward because there is no other option. So that's, you know, and I talk to my kids now and they know that, you know, my father wasn't a very nice man. Obviously they've never met him, but I I, I explain sometimes in life, you know, what I went through and what they've gone through because I want them to understand how privileged they are to have the environment and the life and the opportunities that they do have. Awesome. Very inspiring when you talk about that. I have a good friend who takes her kids to feed the homeless quite regularly and they do a lot of things out in the community and um, they live in a very modest home in a very lucrative area. And when we try to, she's the godmother of our daughter. So when we tried to buy her a gift for her birthday, it was really interesting because she struggled with letting us we brought her to the shops and we said, you can pick anything in Lush because it's her favorite store. And she just struggled with that at 12 years old because for her, she'd really been taught her whole life to appreciate every little thing. That's wonderful. Yeah. It was what, it's what you're talking about to me. And it, and it, she's my kind of mother mentor. Um, And she's done such a beautiful job at, at cultivating that in her kids. So I guess my last question is about how do you feel that you're now a better businesswoman and mother because you experienced not only growing up that way with a monster dad, but also the failure of your business. Like how are you now better as a businesswoman? Let's go businesswoman first and then mother second. Okay. So as a business um, owner and an entrepreneur, I, I know that you can feel the fear and do it anyway. And the world's not going to end. 
um, as you get older, you care, you really care less about what other people think. And I think that really helps as well. And if I could go back and tell my younger self that it would be the one piece of advice I'd give myself that stop caring about what other people think, you know, and being able, it's quite liberating because if you are true and authentic and you act with integrity, then that's what matters. And what other people think is their own thing. You don't know what's going on for someone else. They may criticize you or judge you, but that could be because they're in a bad relationship or because they, they don't have the, the courage to do what you're doing. It's nothing about what you're doing. So I think I'm in a time in my life now where I'm the happiest I've ever been in my career. The it's, it's given me such a great work-life harmony with my family. Um, and if I hadn't been through that adversity, there is no way I would have had the courage to go out on my own. So it's, you know, it does create grit within you and that resilience within you. And I mean, there's so many amazing TED Talks. Um, and and we, we spoke about Angela Duckworth and her book, Grit. And I think that's a great starting point if anyone wants to try and get their head around um, grit and, and, you know, how it's created. But I genuinely believe that as a, uh, an individual, you need to go through some hardships so you can come out the other end and then you've got um, some history to pull back on. So you say, look, I really want to start my own business or I really want to go and have a new hobby or have a new child or start a relationship with someone, but I'm fearful it might not work out. If you've got some history where you can reflect back and go, well, actually, I, I pushed my comfort zone that time and, and, you know, that worked out okay or I pushed my comfort zone and it didn't work out so well, but then it took me in a different path, then it gives you confidence to really be the best version of yourself. And I think that's, that's what we're here for, to live our, you know, our best life. Um, and as a parent, uh, even though my kids drive me mad a lot of the time, I am so grateful that I've got three healthy children. Um, I've got friends that have got kids that, you know, are not always healthy. And I am so respectful of everyone um, who is a parent because it is a super hard gig. And you really need all the support you can get. I've got a great tribe of women around me that I have, have built. And I think you need, you need that in life with parents. But it's given me the ability to pass on my, my wisdom to my children and talk to them about my experiences and how they can build resilience and grit within themselves. Um, and every time there is an, an incident where they're met with adversity or something doesn't go their way or they feel like, you know, the, the world is against them, we can talk through that and we can say, you know, what, what are you learning around this and, and how can we do things differently so you can come through the other end? So it's been, um, it's, you know, I love, I love my life. I feel very, very blessed to be able to say that. Um, and, I, and it's just, you know, it's just, it's a great feeling and it's a great way to be. Oh, I just feel the gratitude the constantness of the gratitude, not just like a, a thing that you say, I really feel that it's woven through your whole experience and to be able to say, I love my life. And, and to, I'm looking at you, you know, everyone's hearing your voice, but I'm looking at the light coming out of you and it's really beautiful. And that's so inspiring. And thank you for telling us real examples with your kids because like not making a soccer team is huge for your son at that moment, you know, Max, the future billionaire, um, and all that, you know, the trials and tribulations of, of what he's going to go through in his quest. Um, it's just beautiful. So I, I just really appreciate you and the way that you've come into my space, I think is really cool. So 
hats off to your tribe member, Marie Doyle. What a oh, wonderful. Ever fabulous Marie. She's extraordinary, that woman. Yeah. What an extraordinary gift that we all share her. So she deserves a, um, a shout out on here today. And um, thank you so much. I really appreciate you. Oh, thank you for the opportunity. You're amazing. And you ask such great questions and I love your show and I'm honored to be here. So thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Don't forget to join the community at bit.ly slash the Nat and Sarah show to download your three-step journal and participate in weekly lives found only in our private group. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You've got to rate and review the show. And I know all the podcasts are always asking this. And in the past, I wasn't doing it. And the reason I wasn't doing it is because I actually didn't know how to do it. So open your podcast player and click on our show from your library, not the listen now. That's where I was going wrong in the past. So now that you know how to do it, when you go there, make sure you give us a five-star review. Five stars, five stars, five stars. And then click on write a review link to actually write a review so that you can tell other people that we're legit and even funny, maybe a bit serious. So if you want to recommend this to someone, you have to... Put your fingers on the keys and send us a review. Thanks.